Amos chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Jerusalem and Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. Today we are starting our first uh, series going through, our first of four weeks in our series going through the Minor Prophets. We're going to be looking at Amos today, uh, titled this sermon, A Country of Prophet. Um, what we want to do as we are getting into election time, uh, I was praying with uh, another leader and we felt like it was going to be important to talk through the Minor Prophets because uh, as the prophets speak to the nation of Israel, I believe God will speak to us today about how we can navigate this time as a people in America during what is going to be a very tumultuous time, not only in our nation, but most likely in your family, uh, in your friendships, in your conversations, with your fake friends on Facebook and Instagram, and all those arguments you're going to get into. I think it's going to be important that we can frame all of these things uh, in scripture, and I can't think of a better place to be than in the Minor Prophets. Um, and so today we're starting in Amos, which is one of my uh, favorite uh, books of the Bible when we're looking at the Minor Prophets. Just, you're gonna read this dude just said some stuff. And what I love about Amos is he was not a traditional prophet. Like this wasn't his full-time job. Uh, he was actually a shepherd. And his full-time job, as he would describe it, was tending sheep. And, but the word of the Lord came to him, and he spoke it with truth and with power. And we get to hear what he said in a time that was, I think, very much like a time that America finds itself in today. See, Amos was a part of the northern kingdom, which is Israel. Uh, we've talked about this before, but you had... Uh, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into two, into the northern and the southern kingdom. The southern was the kingdom of Judah, and the northern was the kingdom of Israel, which later became Samaria. You have the famous story of the Samaritan woman. You have Samaria, the northern kingdom. And so at this time that Amos was writing this word and giving this oracle from God, the northern kingdom was actually experiencing somewhat of a golden age. It was their greatest time of profit, in a long time, uh, they had bet they were better situated than Judah. They were more open to the countries around them, so their trade was good. Assyria had just been knocking on their door for a long time, but Assyria had to take care of some internal business at this point. And while they were doing that, all the other countries that Assyria was putting pressure on came back alive. And the Northern Kingdom or Israel was one of those countries that came back alive. And when they did that, they saw a period of peace and prosperity. And when they saw this period of peace and prosperity, they did what probably anybody would do even today. They said, God is with us. We are experiencing uh, peace like we haven't in years. Assyria has stopped attacking us. We are now experiencing 
the greatest prophet that we have in years. God is on our side. Look at all these other nations. They are, are terrible. They are inferior. We, the, the Lord loves us. We have all the things that we want. We have blessing upon blessing. We have all the material things that we could possibly want. This is a good time. And so when Amos starts off, he actually starts off with the judgment of God that is coming on to all the different countries surrounding Israel, talking about Edom, talking about all these different countries that surrounded Israel. And Israel is probably listening or reading the beginning of this thinking, yeah, these countries deserve judgment. These countries have it all wrong. God is on our side. We have it all together. We are good. We are having the most blessing, the most peace we've had in so long. Things are going really well right now. And then uh, Amos turns to the southern kingdom, the, uh, the kingdom of Judah. And the, the, the judgment gets a little bit longer there. And so Israel is probably like, yeah, look at these proud people. You know, Judah thinks they have all the commandments right, that they have all the righteousness, that they have the right places to worship. But listen to the judgment of the Lord that is coming upon them. And then Amos, in a weird turn of events, looks at Israel and he saved the best last because his judgment on Israel is the longest judgment of all the judgments proclaimed on all the other nations surrounding them. And then the rest of the text of Amos, uh, the chapters one and two is about judgment on other nations, but the rest of the text is now about judgment on Israel. What has happened in Israel? Well, what has happened is that, yeah, there was prosperity. Yeah, times were good, but the prosperity of the nation came at a cost. The prosperity of the nation came at the cost of the oppression of the poor and of the unjust practices of the ones that were in charge, the judges and the nation itself. And what I think is so apt about how, what Amos is going to say and what we're going to read about uh, Israel and how we can point it to ourselves today is that I think a lot of time when Christians look at America, we look at the prosperity that America has had. We look at the relative peace that America has enjoyed. We have not fought a war on our lands since the Civil War. It has not come to our lands. The closest thing that we have had to actual war on our turf was 9-11, and that was not an army coming. That was a terrorist attack. And so we, we look at our nation and we think we are the most powerful nation on earth. We are the most profitable nation on earth. We have had the lo longest area, a time of peace than all these other nations on earth. And the church many times will look at this and they will say, look at the blessing of God. See, everything that we have done is right. And Israel was saying the same exact thing. Everything that we have done is right. Our trade is going well. We are making profit. We are in peace. Our enemies have stopped attacking us. Look at us now. But they forgot that what they were enjoying in this profit, the cost of it to get there, God was not pleased. And I think of two very good examples, you know, the first one being Amazon. The CEO, the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is the richest man in the world. You know, the stock market is going crazy, but relatively worth around $150 billion. 
This is a lot of money. Um, you know, I remember not so long ago learning that the richest man in the world was Bill Gates and he had $70 billion. This is double the amount of that, more than double the amount of that, that maybe just a, deco, a decade ago, everybody was thinking, wow, look at that amount of money. But here we have the richest man in the world, by far the richest man in the world. But if you look at Amazon, just do your Googles, as people say, uh, Amazon working practices. Amazon is known to be one of the worst companies to work for. Uh, and they try as much as possible at squeezing as much work out of their workers with getting, uh, with paying them as little as they can. This is uh, a, a culture that Amazon has developed, a reputation that Amazon uh, has developed that they have their eyes on this one thing, right? And that is profit. And a lot of people look at Jeff Bezos and think, I wanna be like that guy. If you look at some before and after pictures of like what he looked like 15 years ago and what he looks like now, it's just like this wild transformation. You have this little nerd at a desk with this really big computer that's really skinny and scrawny with these oversized shirt and long tie. But now you have this muscle man with the aviator glasses and $150 billion estates all over the world just getting everything he wants, the most profitable country, uh, one of the most profitable companies, um, all of these accolades and we think, I wanna be like him. And yet this culture and this company, time and time again, the people that leave this company are burned out, underpaid and find that they have just been disillusioned by work and where they have been. And then you have a company like Apple, which is the richest company in the world. I mean, Apple, if you think $150 billion net worth, meaning all he has is a lot of money, Apple has $250 billion in cash just sitting in their bank account, but not an American bank account, an Irish bank account, because they have avoided all of the taxes that they would need to pay on all of that money. And if you think about the, the wildness of this is Apple's expenses for an entire year don't even hit 200 billion. So Apple could not sell a product for an entire year and still have tens of billions of dollars left over. That's how much cat just straight cash. This isn't talking about assets. This isn't talking about all the other things that Apple has inventory, uh, property and all that. They have $250 billion in cash stored away. But yet, Apple, time and time again, has been one of the proponents of slave labor overseas. They have been accused time and time again of unjust practices of taking advantage of countries where they do not have labor laws into place like America does so that they can overwork them, underpay them. And we're not talking about minimum wage. We're talking about people uh, living on a dollar a day. We're talking about some of the, the, the worst slave labor that is happening in the world. And yet all of us enjoy Apple and we looked to Steve Jobs as one of the most creative minds of our generation. We looked to Apple as having the most innovative and the best products of our generation. But yet what is the cost of this? 
Is it worse slave labor in other countries just because we don't see it? Does that mean it is okay? We have the same things happening today that Israel was struggling with, that Amos was talking about when he prophesies the judgment of the Lord coming against them, when he prophesies that they need to change their ways. I mean, these are just two examples. But if you look at actually how America is built, it is built around this concept of profit, right? We have companies where the bottom line is profit. And every company is made up of these three entities. And these three entities are the board, the staff or the executives, and the shareholders. And if you think, I want you to think of these three entities kind of like in a circle. Uh, you have the board, you have the shareholders, and you have the executives. And what happens is these three entities revolve around one thing in the middle, and that is profit. All of these entities, everybody has agreed that the way that we measure a success of a company is by the profit of that company. And so what will happen is executives will make sure that they are making as much profit as possible because if they don't, they will say, well, then the board is going to get mad at me, right? And if the board then can fire them if they're not making profit, and then the, the board will then say, well, of course, we need to make sure that the execs are making more profit and as much profit as possible because if they aren't, then the shareholders are gonna get mad at us and then the shareholders will say, well, the board isn't doing their job well and making sure that we're making our money so we're going to change the board. And the shareholders, when we look at them and say, well, why do you use profit? Uh, they will say, well, how are, how are we supposed to know how the company is doing? And, and they will say, well, we can say, well, then to the shareholders, we need to hold you accountable for what the company is doing, these unjust practices, but the shareholders will then say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't run the company. The executives run the company. And so it turns into this vicious cycle that has happened that our country is literally built on uh, where this is our understanding of the stock market and all these things. This is, this is how our companies work. This is how they are built. That we have these three entities, our shareholders, our executives, and our boards. And all three of these will say that profit is the indicator that we understand how we are doing. But in order to get the profit, this is where all the injustice takes place. But all of those entities will say, well, no, that's not us to blame. And so it becomes this blame shift. And so the shareholders can say, no, we don't run the company, it's the executives. The executives will say, well, no, we don't wanna get fired, it's the board. And the board will say, no, we don't wanna get replaced, it's the shareholders. And so we have this cycle of greed, this deadly cycle of greed that then takes place where all we look to is how do we make the most money by any means necessary. It does not matter how we get there because if we are only going to be measured by the amount of money that we make, then that is the only bottom line we will care about. Then who cares how we treat people? Who cares if there's slave labor overseas? Who cares if these products are cancerous? Who, who cares? if this is unhealthy for the people that we're selling it to because there's only one thing that matters and that is profit. 
And so you have a system that is created that maybe a shareholder isn't bad, maybe the executives aren't bad, maybe the board isn't bad, but together, all of them create this system where we have decided as a nation, we have decided as a people that profit is more important than people. Profit is more important than the process and how we get that profit. Profit is more important than the lives that it will leave behind trampled on and dead behind it. We saw this with the collapse in the housing market, how greed has destroyed and run our country over and over again into these places that are unjust. But in this, before we get too discouraged about our country, there's something that Amos says that before he gets into some of the meat of what he says that I think it's important, that there's one thing that we can be sure of And that there's one thing I am still excited about in America, and that is this, that God will always have a remnant wherever he is. If you read the Old Testament, you will see that God always keeps a remnant for himself in the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, we know that the remnant among all the nations is the church. And so this is God's word to the remnants in a nation that is full of greed, a nation that has become all about money and profit. It is this. In Amos chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, he says to the remnant, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of armies, the God of hosts, will be with you. And as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So in a city full of greed, if you ask yourself, how am I supposed to live in a nation that is sinful? How am I supposed to live in a system that is unjust or greedy, in a system that is built around profit? Well, the word of the Lord from Amos is this, seek good, hate evil, and do justice. That is what the church is supposed to focus on. That is what the remnant of God's people, no matter where we are, what country we are, what place we are, that God calls us to be. We are what? We are the city on a hill. We are the light that shines in the darkness. So we don't run away from the country. We don't say, you know, forget this. I'm moving to a new city. I'm moving to a new country. I can't take this around me. No, what we do is we stand where we are, rooted like in Psalm 1, where it says that when we meditate, on the word of God day and night. We are like a tree planted with deep roots by living water. We stay rooted and we do what the remnant of God does. We seek good, we hate evil, and we establish justice. This remnant, I will tell you right now, is not the cultural Christians of America. This remnant is not the right-wing church of America. This remnant is not the progressive church of America. The remnant is God's people who don't look to the right or to the left for salvation, who don't look to their company, their job, for their money, but they look to God and scripture and say, this is what I meditate on. This is what roots me. This is my foundation that when I make my solid ground, Jesus Christ, like he says in the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, that when we make the teachings of Jesus, the way that we live our life by what happens, we become 
rooted, grounded. We have a solid foundation so that no matter what comes our way, we will not be destroyed. Because let me tell you something, the thing that has made me most nervous about our country is cultural Christianity. Is we have lots of people saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But they have no clue what scripture says about following Jesus. They know more talking points from their political party than they do any points from scripture. We can quote the platform of the right wing or the left wing, but we cannot quote any scripture from the Bible. Right? That is cultural Christianity. That we can sing more about the most popular songs than we can about the scriptures that have transformed our life. This is what gets me worried about Christian. Christians in the state of America right now is that when we look at the state of America, we have a lot of people raising their hands saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I also believe X, Y, and Z, when none of those things are in Scripture. And they are doing things that are clearly against the Word of God and clearly against Scripture. And we have people that are taking over what it is to be a Christian in one mouth saying, yeah, I profess God and Christ, and in the other They are not establishing justice, they are enticing to evil, and they are looking for profit. And so what does God say about cultural Christianity? Man, when I read this, I can tell you I had to stop reading and I had to repent because this is so convicting. In in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, God is speaking. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies or your fasts. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fat and animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. If this is not an indictment against our nation, I don't know what is. God hates our spiritual disciplines. He hates our megachurches. He hates our huge conferences. If we do not perform justice, then we are just clanging cymbals in his ears. And he says, I don't want this noise anymore. Stop singing your songs. Stop performing your rituals. Stop doing your disciplines. I don't want to see it anymore. I don't want to be a part of it anymore because you cannot worship me like this and not be hell-bent on justice happening where you are because true worship to God is making sure we establish justice and hate evil everywhere we go. We cannot say in, on one day of the week, I love you, Lord, and then on the other day of the week, figure out how to swindle somebody so that I can make a dollar. It just does not work. We cannot sell things that we know don't work and are harmful to other people from Monday through Friday and then profess Christianity on Sunday morning. It just does not work like that. We cannot say the name of Jesus 
Jesus in one ear and then in the other ear say, I, 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 I will not help this person. They need to help themselves. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not how Jesus, how God, how scripture makes us look at the world around us. We can follow all the latest spiritual gurus. We can read all the latest books on what to do to have a better life in Jesus. But it will be for nothing if we do not despise evil. Do we understand that we, we all understand the love of God. We talk about the love of God so often and all of us are wrapped up in the love of God and we remind ourselves of the things God loves all the time. But how often do you remind yourself of the things that God hates? Right here, it's very clear. God hates something. He hates our rituals. He hates our sacrifices. He hates the things that we do as Christians. If, we do not walk in justice and righteousness. That should be convicting for us. Church, God wants justice. He wants it more than he wants us to have a profitable country. He wants it more than for us to be on the top of the world and to always get our own way. He wants it more than for us even to practice our disciplines following Jesus. He wants justice for every unborn baby murdered in the womb. He wants justice for every black body that was murdered unjustly before an audience of iPhone users. He wants it for the immigrant who is taken advantage of. He wants it in our boardrooms, he wants it in our courts, and he wants it in our churches. God wants justice. This is not something that is theoretical in Scripture. This is something that God has spoken clearly over and over and over again about. In fact, the people that we take most advantage of, the poor, guess what? God says that they have a special avenger in him, right? We, we all know the Avengers. We have consumed that media. We consume the toys. We consume the movies. But we know that God is the real Avenger. And there is one people group that he is constantly saying that he will avenge. And this, this again gets me worried because we will say in one ear we are a Christian, but in the other ear we will take advantage when it means that it is profitable. And we will con not only, we may not do it, but we will condone it. We will say, I want to be like that person. I want a company like that company when they are built on the oppression of people that cannot stand for themselves. In Amos chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, he says this, Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, just caring about that profit, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, just caring about making that sale, about growing your company, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, that we can unjustly sell this so we can make more money and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor 
for silver. What does that sound like to you? And the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Listen to this. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Surely not the land. Tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it. And all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. God is so serious about how we collectively treat the poor as a nation, as a people, that he says he will never forget. Do you know what it's like to be ingrained in the memory of an infinite being that knows no space and time? For that being, that God to say, I will never forget this. Right? When we talk about the fear of the Lord, these are the things that we talk about, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That means I make decisions fearing the memory of God, and that will cause me to do wise things, like not deceive people and look for profit over people, but it will cause me to act justly and, and, and live in grace and love towards others. Why? That is the fear of the Lord that begets all wisdom. He will never forget And he says, all those who live in a nation who does this will mourn because they will rise like the Nile, but they will tremble. See, the Nile River every year, it was in in the Middle East in olden times, Egypt and every great empire, Egypt had one role, and that was to provide them grain to keep their big cities going. And the only reason why they were able to do this is because every year the Nile would overflow and flood into the land around it and provide rich soil for grains. And so this is the the metaphor that he is using now. It will rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. See, this is the thing. As much as we love our country, We have to be honest about its sin. I have always challenged our church to be honest about your personal sin. You have heard me be honest several times about my personal sin. This is not unpatriotic to be honest about the sin. It is like saying you hate yourself if you're honest about your shortcomings. When you hear me be honest about my past and my shortcomings and the way that I have sinned, that you never get the impression that I hate myself. Why? Because I know the redemption of God. In the same way, we cannot live in a nation and not be honest about its sin. We cannot stick our head in the sand and act like it does not exist. We have to be honest. Listen, I grew up in New York, and I I tell everybody I'm a New York mutt. I have so many different nationalities and cultures that I grew up in that when people ask me who I am, I just always told them I'm American, right? Because that is, I'm, I, I, I'm a fourth generation on both my parents' side. We've been here for many generations in New York. And so I love my country, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be honest about where it has fallen short. You see, the thing about it is I'm not challenging you to be honest so that you can hate the country. And that's where I think a lot of people go wrong is I see a lot of hate going, and that's not the way of God. Not to hate it, but to pray for it. See, my love for my country causes me to be honest about the sin for the country and where we need to go, and then it causes me to pray over our nation, 
to pray over our city, to pray over our people, to be the church in it, to be the light on a hill, to be the salt of the earth, to be the people that are in the world but not of the world, that I can live here but not be of this place, of the evil of this place. I can extend the kingdom of God to this place, to be the remnant, to be the people that God has set aside to walk out his justice and his mercy to seek justice, as Amos says, in the gate, in the powerful places, in the places of decision-making, in every place of opportunity that I have, no matter what my sphere of influence is. The judgment that Amos declares over Israel is the judgment that I fear for my country and that I pray for. See, in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I could cry thinking about that. That it's not... We're going to lose our meals and we're going to lose our drinks and we're going to lose our comfort. No, we will lose the voice of the Lord. The wrath of God in Romans chapter 1 is not described as lightning and fire falling on people. The wrath of God in Romans chapter 1 is God turning his back and saying, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. That is the judgment that Amos is saying is going to happen that the famine will not be of bread and water, the famine will be of God speaking. That's the day I fear. That's the day I pray over our nation that God will turn around, that the remnant would speak up, would not be silent. That's the thing that caused us to be Pray, March, Act and have the slogan that will say the church will not be silent. That is the thing that has caused us to rise up and be the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord because it is not the crooked, greedy, profitable practices that are the way of the Lord. It is not trampling on the needy. It is not doing everything that we can to be the biggest, baddest company in the world. That is not the way of the Lord. It is justice and it is righteousness that is over and over and over again that is declared as the way of the Lord. But the hope that I have in scripture is this, that judgment is never the final word. We will read every single week in these minor prophets that the judgment of God is never the final word. Some of you may feel like Jonah did, like you want America to burn. God, I, Jonah said, I don't want to go to Nineveh because if I preach to them and they repent, you will withhold your judgment from them. And I know many people feel like this from America right now, but I would say do not feel like that. What did Jonah have to go through before he got there? Read the book of Jonah. It's an incredible story how God ends that with him. You want your adversaries to perish. But that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to look at everybody spitting on him on the cross, shouting obscenities and people who put the crown of thorns on his head and nailed him to the cross. And he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the way of Jesus. God wants repentance and restoration. That should be our prayer and our hope as well. Amos ends with this passage 
In chapter 9, verses 11 to 15, he says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And Amos ends with that. Amos saw a future that God restored and used Israel to bless the nations and in Acts 15, James quotes the end of Amos, this passage, to show that the time has come through Jesus. And God's plan for the earth to be restored to Eden was through his church. This is what James says in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 15. In this election season, we have to be honest about our country's shortcomings, but we also have to do our job as God's remnant. See, God no longer has a nation. God has a church. We are not aligned to presidents and dictators of this world. We are aligned to the kingdom. And with the kingdom, we do the kingdom things. We speak out against injustice. We walk in paths of righteousness. We look at our sphere of influence and we do not give in to the way of the world that says profit, greed, and oppression and whatever we need to get to making that dollar is acceptable and the thing that we look to. No, we have a different way. We have the way of Jesus. Amos goes over the ethics of the kingdom and those are the practices that we follow as his people. The things that we pray for, the types of justice that we seek. That the marginalized will have a voice. That the oppressed will know that the church is on their side. That the remnant of God speaks for them and fights with them. That we are not of a nation before we are of the kingdom. And we can end and pray not for judgment, but for restoration of the church to take its place and to bless the nations, to bring about what we have been praying for since Jesus ascended into heaven, for the Eden experience to come back, for a new heavens and a new earth and a restoration and a renewal of all things church. That's what we pray for. That's what we long for. We don't long for a nation to be on top forever. We long for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, for, pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word that came to Amos, to a country, Lord, that was enjoying peace and prosperity, but for all the wrong reasons. And I pray that in the season here, Lord, and over these next few weeks, as we examine the time and the season that we are in,
Lord, that you would check our hearts against the politics and the policies, against the progressive or the right-wing leanings, Lord, against the memorization of song lyrics and policy points over your word, against God, the meme and culture of hate, God, against, Lord, the hope and restoration that we as your church pray for. Father, I pray that we would learn from this country of prophet that Amos spoke truth to, spoke judgment to, and spoke restoration to. And that you would teach us to pray first and foremost. And that we as the remnant would do what you have called us to do, to hate evil, Lord, to seek good, and to do justice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.